Good morning. Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as senior pastor here. If you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome. Thank you for being our guest this morning. You are an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your family this week, trusting that God is working uh, in your life to point you to Him. And so thank you for being with us this morning. As a guest, I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. I do want to uh, acknowledge the dust that might be in the room. The kitchen remodel is looking really good, as Brian was saying, and uh, give us a couple more weeks. We will roll up those doors, and you'll see uh, the transformation that's taking place, but it is a, a different kitchen for sure. We also are updating the small kitchen over in the chapel building, if you're curious about that. It looks totally new, too. It is, it's looking really good, so I'm excited to see uh, how those turn out and how we as a church can use these spaces uh, for God's glory and for the mission that he's given us. Um, so I'm excited about that. Kids, it's always good seeing you here. Thank you for being with us. I hope that you have enjoyed finally getting back to school and, and, and the normal routine, uh, but don't forget about this weekend. From 1 to 3, we're going to be over in Glasgow at Ralphie's. I think I, I think I found my bowling shoes. I've got to dust them off. We're going to have some fun bowling and skating and having all kinds of fun. If you haven't let Lacey know that you're going, let her know by Wednesday. We have a sign-up uh, sheet at the welcome desk, um, but I'm excited to spend some time with you guys and your friends, uh, along with Lacey, uh, having fun together as, as, as kids here at White Plains. Thank you for being with us, kids. You're dismissed to the lobby to be taken up to Kids Church. Kids Church is for children in the grades, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. And parents and grandparents, you can pick them up in the lobby after our church service is over. As they are leaving, I wanted to let you know of something new that we're starting here shortly. Um, a new fellowship study time for men and women who are available normally at 9 o'clock on Thursdays. So if you, if you were at home at 9 o'clock on Thursday, this new thing that we're going to be doing is meant for you. This would include those who may be retired, those who have a job shift that gives them 9 o'clock on Thursdays uh, being open, uh, maybe stay-at-home parents and, and other folks like this. You may not realize this, but we have several people in our church uh, who lead different ministries around the church, and we get together about every couple of months, and we were together a couple of weeks ago, and, and we were talking about um, our desire to, to create more spaces for us to come and gather together. Uh, I, think it was, I think it was Faye who expressed the idea as we were discussing different opportunities um, about this 9 o'clock time period on, on, during the week, because we realize that many uh, folks don't enjoy driving at night. As I am uh, teaching my daughter how to drive, I don't think I enjoy her driving at night. So it, it's just a different animal at night, so I, I get it. But, but, but as we think about how to, how to get more people here uh, to enjoy community with each other, to pray together, to, um, to, to look at God's Word together, and just enjoy each other's company, this seemed like a good, good thing to try. And so, uh, again, this is uh, going to be happening on Thursdays uh, at 9 o'clock uh, on, on the 8th. February 8th is when we're going to start this. And, and I hope that this group becomes a multi-generational group. I, I'm not looking for this just to be one generation. I would love for us to have a group of ages represented in this group. I think it's helpful when our senior saints can encourage our younger saints and our younger saints can learn uh, from
from, from our senior saints. So we'll have some coffee, we'll have some donuts, and we'll spend some time together. I'm really looking forward to this time on Thursdays coming up, starting on the 8th. So we're going to be in our series, How We Got Here. This is our attempt to quickly go through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And, and you may not feel like we're going very fast, but we could spend probably a year or more in just these 11 chapters. So we are, we are flying by these, uh, these chapters. What happens here in these first 11 chapters in Genesis gives us a framework to better understand the rest of our Bible. We get kind of an introduction to the Bible here in these first 11 chapters of Genesis. The Bible is many stories, telling one big story, a story of God rescuing people like you and me, and he rescues us because he wants to bring us back to the holy work that he created us for. And, and I'm probably like you guys. You've heard these stories. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 of Genesis this morning. You know Cain and Abel. This is not a new thing for you. Um, these are good, truthful stories here in uh, Genesis. And, and we know God better because we know these stories. But my family was talking about chapters 4 and 5 of Genesis this week. And now we're not going to cover chapter 5. If you, if you know chapter 5... No one wants to sit up here and read the names in chapter 5. It's a, it's a long line of impronounceable names, uh, and so we're going to skip that one next week. But we were reading, or we were talking about um, Genesis 4 and 5, um, and it became very clear. I mean, I knew this already. This is the whole purpose of us going through this series in Genesis. But as we were talking at home, it became very clear that God is giving us an introduction to the rest of the Bible when we look at these first 11 chapters in Genesis. Hopefully the point will be clear for you this morning as we uh, finish chapter 4. The point that's being made is the Bible is speaking more of the spread of sin in these early chapters than giving us a historical account of everything. Now we get history, and the history we get is, is true and, and, and right, and there's nothing wrong with it by any means, but that's not the point of what we have in Genesis in these first 11 chapters. The point here is sin spreads. When we spent time in Jonah last year, I kept saying to you that the story in Jonah is not about the whale. But that's the first thing we think about when we think about Jonah is the whale. We often get lost in the details of the narratives of the Bible. We get lost in the details of chapter 4 here in Genesis. If you, if you know, if you're looking at Genesis 4 right now and you sort of see what's coming up, you're probably asking yourself questions that we all have all asked. We wonder, who did Cain marry? We wonder, who was Cain afraid of after he killed Abel? Where did all these other people come from? Did Adam and Eve have more kids? Did God create other humans somehow? These are all questions that pop up, and they're not wrong questions by any means. They're just not the point of Genesis 4. The point is the spread of sin. The spread of sin affects us today. Cain's wife does not. Genesis 4, the point here is to see this, the spread of sin. We can get lost in the details so easily that we miss what God is wanting us to, to see. The story of Cain uh, here in chapter 4 leads us directly to another person, Lamech. Now we're zoomed in on a family here, the family line of Cain and this spread of sin. And just like last week, I 
promise, hope is coming. But it's going to be a little hopeless for a little while as we look at chapter 4. But hope will arrive with the birth of Seth. Seth will have a descendant similarly named Lamech. And you may realize that Lamech is Noah's dad. There's two different Lamechs, though. So I don't want you to, as we look at Genesis 4, that's not the same Lamech that Noah uh, has. And so it's easy to be confused because you see a name, you recognize it. I just wanted to, to put that out there for you. So um, I trust that you're getting a good foundation here in Genesis as we study through this book together. That's the purpose, to, to get a good introduction to the rest of the Bible so that the rest of it makes sense. Let's look at the first eight verses of chapter 4. Now Abel knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Let's pray in response to what we just read. God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the wisdom you give Cain that sin is crouching at the door, that its desire is contrary to us. Lord, you tell us in your word elsewhere that you are for us. Sin is against us. Help us this morning to understand that. Help us to realize that as we, as when we are faced with temptation, when we are faced with temptation to sin against you, help us to realize that sin's desire is against us and you are for us. Strengthen us to choose you. Thank you again for your word to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in these first two verses, we read of Eve bearing two sons. She's hopeful. You see that here, right? You see the hope that she has because she has in mind Genesis 3.15. She remembers, now she's kicked out of the garden, but she remembers what God said to her, what God said to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden because of their sin, but even in their punishment, God continues to show care for this couple with this promise here in Genesis 3.15. Eve's offspring 
will overcome the enmity between humanity and the serpent or the Satan. There is hope in the birth of these two boys. There is hope here because one day humanity through Eve's offspring will be victorious over sin and its consequences. Remember, in Genesis, we're, we're sometimes zoomed out. Then without notice, we're zoomed in on a specific person or a family or a tree. Sometimes in these early chapters of Genesis, many years fly by without notice. And that's what we have here. The first two verses, and then in verse 3, in the course of time, many years passed. The boys, the babies are grown up. They're adults. We don't know how much time has happened. We don't know what else has been going on as these boys have grown up over the years that we've skipped over, but we assume that Adam and Eve had more children. Other humans start to show up later in this chapter, so we assume that culture has started to form. Within culture, religious activities begin. Genesis doesn't give us these details, and that's okay. They're not important details. We ask questions of it, but they're not there for us. We see Cain bringing an offering to the Lord. We don't know why he did it. We don't know. We don't have any... God doesn't command this necessarily. We don't know. We just see Cain doing something. We see Abel doing the same thing. There's no backstory here. It's interesting to note, though, that Cain is associated with the curse. Cain works the ground... And this is a result of the curse. Abel is associated with humanity's God-given purpose of having dominion over other living things. He keeps sheep. Make note of that. Cain is associated with the curse, while Abel is associated with humanity's God-given purpose. Just over a month ago during our Christmas series, uh, we saw the angels visiting shepherds. And I gave you a list of a few shepherds in the Bible. Moses was a shepherd. He was shepherding sheep when God appeared to him in the burning bush. David, a shepherd boy, would become king. Amos, a prophet, was a shepherd. And we see Abel here being a shepherd, keeping sheep. Even though later in the Old Testament, the role, the job of, of being a shepherd is considered the lowliest of roles a person could have, we see that the role of shepherd is closely associated with God's original purpose for humanity, to have dominion over other living things. So we have two brothers, both brothers bringing an offering to the Lord. Let's make some observations here. In your notes, there is nothing about the offerings that are inherently bad. Both offerings are good offerings. There's nothing in them that is inherently bad in the offering. Both grain offerings, that's what Cain brings, and fat offerings, that's what Abel brings, are later part of the Jewish religious system. So in verses five, 4 and 5, when it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard, we don't read into that. We don't read into this that God favors one type of offering over another. Both types are later part of appropriate offerings given to God. And both are good. In your notes, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, while Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
we begin to see a difference. Not only in the offering, but more so in the heart of the one bringing the offering. It's the heart that shows us why there is a, contra- a contrast in the way God received these offerings. The heart of the one bringing the offering is what matters. It's the heart. Abel's heart was one of sacrifice to God, while Cain's heart shows something else completely, especially as it's revealed to us in the later parts of verse 5. Let's look at verses 5 and go through verse 7. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Anger overcame Cain. And his face fell. The New Living Translation says that Cain looked dejected. He looked dejected. Anger and sadness fell on Cain. I googled dejection to see how to best express its meaning. I think we we can picture that, but as as I looked it up to see how to best describe it, one of the ways of describing it was using this phrase, unhope. And that's a word. We don't use it anymore, but apparently that's a word. And it's a really good picture of what Cain is expressing in his rejection, of being rejected, unhope. We've all probably been in a place like this. We've brought something to someone, even possibly in the service of the church. We bring an offering, but truthfully our heart just isn't in it, and it gets rejected. We get rejected. Rejection is a powerful feeling. Rejection tells us that we're not good enough. Rejection says we're not wanted. Rejection can get into our head. Rejection can come from many places. It can come from work. It can come from our social circles. It can come from the opposite sex. And it can feel like it comes from God sometimes. Rejection can get into our head. And anger often accompanies it. Rejection and anger can lead you to dangerous places. God sees this in Cain. And what does God do? In your notes, God gave Cain the truth. He didn't say you're going to be okay. He gave Cain the truth. God is not surprised at what will happen in the coming paragraphs. God is not simply watching to see what Cain is going to do. He knows what's going to happen. God is giving us this history of sin, of sin spreading, and he takes a moment as he gives Cain this truth. He wants us to understand this truth. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. In our anger and in our rejection, in our sadness, we must understand that sin is crouching at the door. 
Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over We must rule over it. Sin's desire is not for your best. It's contrary to your best. For those familiar with this narrative in Genesis 4, what happens next? God sees what is going on with Cain. God speaks the truth and he shows Cain a way out. Just like he does when we're faced with temptation to sin. Look at this from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let there, let, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will let you be tempted. He, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The picture of God that we have in the Old Testament is the same picture of God we have in the New Testament. What happens in Genesis 4 is reiterated here in 1 Corinthians. And this, what he says, what, what is in 1 Corinthians is written to a church steep in sin. You know anything about the churches that were written to in the Bible, you know the, the Corinthian church is one with all kinds of sinful issues. God is in control. He speaks truth to his people. We have his word to us. The truth is God always provides a way out of temptation and sin for his people. So let's get back to Genesis. What happens next in Genesis? The very next sentence, after God speaks truth to Cain, Cain goes to his brother. Cain kills his brother. In his anger, in his dejection, in his unhope, reeling from the rejection, he kills Abel. This is more than murder. If it was just murder, it would still be terrible. But this is more than murder. Do you realize this? Cain killed Abel, but what Cain did is much more than just murder. In Cain taking life and him killing his brother, he does the opposite of what God purposed humanity to do, to be fruitful and to multiply. In Cain taking life, Cain puts himself against God. God is the creator of life. Cain takes life. Cain's sin of killing Abel is a direct attack on God. Our sin, when we sin, is a direct attack on God. Sin spreads. What began with a desire to be like God in the garden comes to a point in the offspring of that first couple to kill and to take the life of another. As bad as that is, this is not where sin stops. Sin continues. It spreads. 
And we'll pick up on that in just a moment. But first, we want to see something else that we must understand. In your notes, sin must be punished. Sin must be punished. When our sin is a direct attack on God, a sovereign God, a creating God, a God who is a ruler, and all those things are true about God, when our sin is an attack on that God, our sin must be punished. Our sin's not cute. Our sin isn't a personality defect. It's not just who we are. Our sin is an attack on God himself. And our sin must be punished. The couple was punished in the garden. They were kicked out of the garden. Sin must be punished. Cain is punished here in Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 11 through 16. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord will put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain is punished, but protected. This is interesting. Why would God protect Cain in his punishment? Even in our rebellion, God's love remains. When we fall to temptation and sin overtakes us, we can still see that we have a loving and caring God, providing for us and taking care of us and protecting us. Sin doesn't stop. Sin continues to spread. Cain has kids. Several generations later in chapter 4, we see someone else in the family in this line of sin, Lamech. Now, Lamech does something that we haven't yet seen in Genesis. Listen to this in verse 19. Lamech took two wives. Now, this appears to be new. This is the first time we have this listed in Scripture. He took two wives. Just because bigamy is mentioned here doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's appropriate. And just because the Bible records the fact that Lamech took two wives doesn't mean that it's giving permission for others to do that. As sin spreads in the Bible, God speaks to us in our sin. His bigamy speaks to what we see in Lamech. Lamech tells his two wives that he kills a man. He killed a man for wounding him. He killed someone for hurting him, striking him. Lamech kills not because he's angry, not because he's sad, but because someone hit him first. Lamech overreacted. Lamech's bigamy speaks to his self-centered pride just as his overreaction to being struck does. We see this in his prideful statement in verse 24. 
if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. The ESV Study Bible explains this statement well. It says on page 59, Lamech is boasting that his vengeful passion makes him safer than Cain, who had protection only from God. Seventy-sevenfold is a picturesque statement for an extravagant excess. The other thing that, that I want you to see here is that God made the pronouncement of Cain's protection. Lamech makes this proclamation of his protection, and he goes extravagantly overboard to protect himself by himself. What pride is here in Lamech? We're ending the chapter 4, nearing the end, and it feels hopeless again. It feels hopeless because sin is spreading. We're seeing the reality of the same sin that lives inside of us being written out here on the pages of the Bible. The chapter started with such a hopeful tone as Eve had two boys. One of those boys was killed and the other boy was kicked out. Banished deep in sin and rebellion. Eve still has this promise from God from Genesis 3, but I am sure as what plays out in Genesis 4, whatever hope she started off with, that hope was probably leaving. But hope shows back up. As the Bible does, it brings us back to hope because we, we can be hopeful and our God. Hope shows back up here at the end of chapter 4. God is faithful. We can always trust Him. Even when hope fades away, we can trust in God's faithfulness. God keeps His promises. God made a promise in Genesis 3.15, and He's going to keep that promise. Look at the final two verses of chapter 4. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was a son, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Hope continues for Eve. Now this isn't in your notes, but write this down. Hope continues for Eve. Hope continues do you see the hope here in Seth, in this birth? Hope continues for Eve. Hope continues for you and for me as we trust our God to continue in his faithfulness, in his faithfulness to us and to our church. God is mighty. God is in control. God is at work. Don't lose hope. Don't ever lose hope. When you are following Jesus, never lose hope. Because God is faithful. We're skipping over chapter 5, but it is a hopeful chapter. As it traces the line of Adam through Seth, the child of hope, all the way to Noah. We're going to pick up in chapter 6 next week with Noah. We'll see that sin has spread so completely. Sin has, com has spread so much that God is grieved. 
But before we get there next week, remember, hope continues. We see Seth and his line leading us to Jesus. This is in Luke 3. We have a genealogy of Jesus. And in the final verses of Luke 3, we have the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of somebody else, uh, Mahalaleel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. We are pointed to Jesus here at the end of chapter 4. Hope arrives in Seth because Seth leads us to Jesus. Have you let sin loose in your heart? Have you given up hope in our faithful God? Has anger and sadness caused you to hurt, to hurt others? If so, you're in good company. It's not uncommon for any of us. In our anger, in our sadness, in whatever temptation may come, let us not fall to sin. God provides a way out. He always provides a way out. He has always been and continue to be, will be faithful and can be trusted with any emotion that we have, any temptation that we face. God is faithful. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. Will you trust God? And this is a question as much for the one seeking Jesus for the first time as, as for us who've been following him for many years. We must continually trust God. Hope awaits us for us, those who trust God. Hope awaits for us. Hope continues because God is faithful. Not because we feel hopeful, but because God is faithful. God can be trusted. Will you trust God this morning? It was so good seeing Rob getting baptized uh, this morning to see his faith publicly proclaimed. Make sure that you read his story. It's in the bulletin. It's in the notes. It is a wonderful story of God's faithfulness. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment. If you want to come and talk more about what it means to follow Jesus, this is a time for you. You can come forward and speak with me. You can come forward and pray. If you want to stay where you're at and pray, that's okay too. Will you stand as we pray? God, as we come face to face with the sin that's inside of us and the sin that has plagued us and your creation from the beginning, we recognize that we are not exempt. We are not exempt from sin and from being, uh, from dealing with temptation. Lord, forgive us. Fail you. Forgive us when we come short of your standard. Lord, you are a holy God. And when we fall short of that, we thank you for Jesus because he is the one who gives us the ability to to say with confidence that you do forgive us because our hope is in you, our hope is in Jesus and what, on, what he has done for us on our behalf. We thank you for Jesus. 
Help us this morning to come to terms with the sin that's in our life. Help us to confess what needs to be confessed. Give us strength to repent what we're needed to be repenting. For your sake, thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.